Welcome back to the apartment library. Cue the music. So we're going to do something a little different today. We figured it'd be cool if we talk a bit more about the books that we are reading outside of the podcast. Because the idea of the podcast has always been that we get to talk about books that we've read together, which we don't usually do, but we both read a lot. So it's neat to have a reason to read the same books and that way we get to talk about them, right? That was originally the point of the podcast. And to, yeah, the cast meow. A little, <laughs> a little meow poked in there. I don't know if that'll make it into the the final version of this episode, but if so, you should know there's a cute kitty walking around. Little shit. <laughs> Yeah, so I figured we could talk about like the books that we have read recently, or maybe since last time we recorded, or whatever you have on your mind as of late, and maybe what we're considering reading, what's in our TBR, that sort of thing. Yeah, sounds great. Sure, sure. Well, the book that I actually finished this morning was a nonfiction that I just stumbled upon when we went to go visit one of the library branches. They had like a display about because I think it was misinformation month or something at the library. So they had a bunch of books on display that were kind of in that vein. Um, And so, yeah, I I borrowed a book called Bibliotech, um, written by a former library director. And it was just all about how relevant libraries still are and the age of Google and all that. And then how this person sees the future of libraries and that kind of in that kind of subject area. So it was good. Um, It's nothing that I wasn't really aware of before. You know, it was nothing mind-blowing to me, but it was still an interesting read that I wouldn't normally pick up. Like, I'm more of a fiction reader. I I rarely read nonfiction. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you think it might be something that would be interesting to people who are not necessarily in that field like you are? Um, I think... If you're a library lover and a library appreciator, you might <laughs> enjoy it. Um, it kind of, I think, was written for people who manage libraries, who, oh, okay. who direct libraries. It wasn't very technical or anything, but it was. he was kind of giving his opinion on where he thinks libraries need to go and that kind of thing. So oh. the average person might not find that interesting. But uh, yeah, if you if you are interested in libraries, if you work in libraries, if you like libraries, yeah, it might be an interesting read for you. Mm-hmm. Cool, and that's bibliotech, tech as in technology. Yes. Cool. And I, I can't it? remember the author. It's James or John something. It didn't stick with me. <laughs> yeah, well. But you can look it up. You'll find it if you just look up bibliotech. Yeah, you just finished that. And uh, is there anything else that you're like going to read now that you know for sure? Yeah, well, I want to read um, My Dark Vanessa. Mm-hmm. It's a book that I've read a lot about online. Like I've seen people recommend it a lot. Um, I don't know much about it, but I had it actually in my list to check out at the library. But then we went to a thrift store recently, and it was there. So mm-hmm. I got it for like a dollar something. So Cool, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard about that book. Mm-hmm. I've seen it uh, mentioned on, on BookTube. Yeah. So, um, cool. yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's supposed to be a good... It's like serious subject matter. So, um, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it's a book that deals with uh, like themes of loss and grief. And yeah, I'm not sure exactly. I feel like it might have something to do with 
like a young, like a teenage girl kind of getting groomed by a creeper. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That rings true. Yeah. But I'm not 100% sure of that. So we'll find out. I'm going to start reading it soon. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. If I look into it and it's something that seems interesting, I've definitely heard, or the only times that I've heard about it, there were good things. There are a couple of people I know that they really, really love that book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How about you? Yeah, so I uh, I find myself yet again between two spec fiction books or science fiction books, <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of. You're re- like you're reading both at the same time. No, no, I I finished uh, mo- super recently. I finished uh, a second chance uh, at Eden, which is a collection of connected short stories that serve as a prelude or a prequel, as it were, of the Night's Dawn trilogy by Peter F. Hamilton. Yeah, and the stories track the evolution of the technology that is kind of fundamental to the future the future that those books take place in. They happen around the year 2700 or something oh, like wow. that. Yeah, and it starts, uh, the very beginning uh, is the short story called Sonny's Edge, which is, oh, yeah. of course, now, yeah, like that badass uh, animation and uh, Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix, which if you haven't seen, that is... 20 minutes, very well spent. Mm-hmm. Uh, very violent, but also very, very interesting. And yeah, I really loved it. Obviously, like that was uh, that was my first Peter F. Hamilton I've ever read, and I, I really enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to dabbling into his big works. I think that he, yeah, he's famous for writing door stoppers. Like his books are mm-hmm. massive. So uh, I've been looking into it, and I'll see. I do have a couple of books by him already on my on my e reader, and after reading The Emperor's Soul, I started reading A Cage of Souls, or just Cage of Souls, by Adrian Tchaikovsky. And so far, so good. I'm really enjoying it. I've read a couple of books by him, Children of Time and Children of Ruin, and they are some of my favorite uh, sci-fi I've read in the last few years. Nice. And his new book is coming out soon, right? Yeah, yeah, November now. Not, so you must the... be excited. Yeah, yeah, Children of memory i will i'll definitely be grabbing that as soon as it comes out i hope it's as good as the other two i mean children of time was one of those books that like kind of made me realize oh, okay like space opera doesn't have to be lame yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but no it was awesome so yeah i'm really looking forward to that and the one that i'm reading and now cage of souls is i've only really just started it but i'm really looking forward to to keep reading it's it's great so far. Nice. I love that feeling where you're looking, like you're actually looking forward to re- continuing the book. Yeah, and like you, nice you don't want to do other things. Yes, like you exactly. Want to like, you and want like, to get done with your chore so that you can go back to reading. Yeah, and like in the morning if you're reading before work, it sucks when it's work time because you just want to keep reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah that really, that's something. Yeah. Well, sometimes like you want to do something else that you enjoy, like, you know, going for a run or working out for me and... Sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, but I wish I could just keep reading, but then I'm just going to get fat. So, <laughs> Well, I guess that's where audiobooks might come into play. Yeah, I can't. I don't know. Uh, have you ever tried? I've tried audiobooks and I just can't seem to focus. I've never tried them. Which is a weird thing because I love podcasts and like mm-hmm. I listen to all kinds of them, like education, comedy, history, uh, lots of book related podcasts, but also some that are narrative whether they're fiction or not, they 
do require that you pay attention. But I feel like with an audiobook, I'm just going to skip or not pay attention for a couple of lines. And then I feel like I will have missed something. Yeah. With a book, you if you space out a little bit, you go back and you read it. Or if you didn't understand it properly, you go back and you read it. With this, it's more of a hassle to back up, right? So every time that I've tried, mostly with short stories, because I knew that I wasn't going to uh, sign up for a bigger book and I, I didn't want to. And even with short stories, I find that I space out and I start thinking of other stuff. Makes sense because I guess unless you're just literally sitting there listening to an audiobook, usually you're probably doing something else at the same time. Yeah. So it's easy for your mind to wander. Whereas when you're reading, like you, you pretty much just have to read and you can't do much else. That's a good point. So I get that. I mean, yeah, I can see how it'd be easy to to space out for a little bit and then lose what's mm-hmm. happening. Well, for instance, like there are a couple of podcasts like uh, Darknet Diaries that I love and it's so interesting, like the stuff that happens on it that like I listen to it when I'm working out sometimes and I'm like getting a good workout. I'm focusing on that. And at the same time, I'm really into the story yeah. that Jack Recider is telling you know yeah i yeah, i love that podcast you That's you awesome. showed me that podcast Aww. actually it was, i remember the first time when i went into it i was like holy crap this is right up my alley this is really cool stuff okay. yeah. i like it yeah, darknet diaries check it out mm-hmm. should so we go on to our main event that's right so and going in fantasy is really not our thing we hadn't dabbled in, I mean okay so like my story with fantasy is essentially I read Harry Potter when I was 10 the first Harry Potter book when I was eight nine or ten something like that and kind of grew up with those books so loved them loved the movies and that was it I I read the Hobbit I think and I guess other books but like that you know really don't count as a kid you're reading a fantasy book it's I feel like this book by Brandon Sanderson is you could read it as a twelve-year-old, but it's definitely not geared for children. I didn't no, find. no, it's it, yeah, it's it's not a kids' book. Like yeah. it, it's written for older audiences, I think. But like you said, the 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 language isn't hard to understand, so you could read it as a child if you wanted to. Yeah, nor is the subject matter like the magic system. It's complex, but it wasn't complicated. It wasn't difficult to understand. No. Uh, nor do I, I don't think that it would be difficult to understand for a kid. No. However, it didn't feel like, like this genre does seem to get lumped in with more children geared stuff. Yeah. And I'm kind of the same as you. Like I am not a fantasy reader like you. We read Harry Potter as kids, watched Lord of the Rings so many times as kids. Yeah. But yeah, fantasy. I would never go out and read a fantasy book, but this one it's it was recommended to us, so we we picked it up and mm-hmm. we both really liked it. Yeah, so uh, because of like all the podcasts in BookTube that I consume in the sphere of SF or SFF, science fiction, science fiction, fantasy, speculative fiction, that sort of thing. I've come into, you know, like cross-contamination contact with, <laughs> you know, this, this this genre that is so parallel to science fiction, but at the same time so different. It is a thing that it's it's just the way it is, that because of publication history and whatnot, like it it just, it's lumped with it. And ov- obviously there are overlaps. Yeah. Obviously there's some overlap, but it's not like crime and mystery. 
or crime and thriller, where like those things are very you know, like, similar. Yeah, and they can be kind of both. Whereas like science fiction fantasy, there is a like a combination of them that is called science fantasy. And uh, mm. Tchaikovsky himself, actually, he just won the Hugo or the Nebula, I can't remember, for his uh, novella called Elder Race, I think. Okay. Uh, that is supposed to be a, a science fantasy. I really don't know how that works. I don't, you know, like, yeah. as far as I understand, and urban fantasy is, you know, like a more modern type of fantasy with magic and whatnot, but that happens in a city that mm -hmm. happened in, you know, say, New York City. But this is a different thing in a different world. Like, epic fantasy, the context... Sorry, the genre of fantasy that the Emperor's soul takes place in is, if I'm not mistaken, and here's where our ignorance is really on the show, <laughs> it's an epic fantasy or a what about, high fantasy. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, what, what I, is high fantasy? I just Like the up, elves and that kind of stuff? Well, I just looked it up on Wikipedia, and I think that they're both synonyms. Okay. Uh, I don't know if there is a distinction between them, but the primary thing was that, like, say that they're the same, the primary idea would be that it happens on a separate world. That's high fantasy. Yeah, like Middle Earth, okay. like Narnia, even though Narnia might not be a good example because it's you know it's a portal to that yeah. world. It's like a different dimension or something. Uh, whereas other things like Harry Potter, like that takes place in England, okay. in the real world. That makes sense. So yeah, this takes place in a completely created universe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Even though it has like pretty obvious footprint of the world that we live in like shy is of a race or species you could say that is essentially aesthetically in the vein of like southeast asian people mm -hmm. right and at the same time like they're not very heavily described the characters no. right no like there's some description of i think it was the strikers how they're much taller than shy's yeah, First of all, we're saying shy, but maybe it's Shay or... I think it's shy because her name is Wan Shai Lu. Yeah. 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 I always read it as shy, so I guess that's yeah. how I'll say it. But um, yeah, anyways, so yeah, there's descriptions in the book of how her people are smaller in stature than others and some other, I guess you can call them races, have, you know, long straight hair, whereas she has... Curly hair. No, she, she has straight she hair. Has straight, okay, so yeah. all the way around. But yeah, there's descriptions like that of how they, they yeah, differ. Yeah, there are difference and like they're very much different races of in the sense of fantasy. It sounds so weird to like talk about it because you think of like the concept of like ethnicity. Yeah. And I guess it, it is kind of similar. The same. It sounds like it yeah, at but least. At the same time, they are like different species in a way. They're like of different sizes and different compositions. It's yeah. weird, right? Yeah. I, I guess like they're, they're all sort of like humans except yeah. like even in our world, there's some, I guess people from certain countries are generally a bit taller oh, yeah, than others. Yeah. And of course, skin color varies. Well, I think you hear facial features. Like more accentuated though. Yeah. But like the fact that like everybody in the room is taller than her, kind of like hobbits. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we got some Dune vibes from this book. Both oh, of us okay, like yeah. noticed that right off the bat. Yeah. It was early on. It was like 10, 10 pages in and there's something called, Mualib? No. Something, like some sort of Arabic sounding name. It sounded just like Muadib. Yeah. Right? So it's like, that's obviously a, an homage yeah. from Sanderson to Herbert. Yeah. And, and the whole thing about how, you know, there's an empire, there's an emperor. I mean, that's not, Dune wasn't unique in that regard. But it just reminds me of that kind of the, these, like you know. Like feudal system. Yeah, that kind of thing. I mean, 
I just got the vibes and, and, you know, them wearing cloaks and I don't know. It just felt like similar to Dune in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally see that. However, I did picture a lot of it taking place in a world that seemed a lot more like Hyrule from the Zelda games, mm -hmm. uh, particularly the latest one. Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild, yeah. Yeah, because at the end she's off riding a horse and... I actually, yeah, it made me think of Breath of the Wild. Yeah, and I pictured it with like everything is like green and like she's going into a forest at the end. And, yeah. Like, but like there's the castle type of thing. I just like picture that with like a nice, yeah. beautiful, sunny day with yeah. you know, that type of thing. But okay, so the onset of this thing is that we don't read fantasy. We knew of Brandon Sanderson. Obviously, he's very famous. I knew kind of by osmosis that the guy is well a prolific but also very celebrated he's really really revered and his work is super well, well regarded and the scene and i can see why after reading this yeah my god it was good it was like, oh yeah it was, it was a thrill to read it's a novella super short yeah about um, a bit over 200 pages i think yeah, well, I read, I read uh, the paper version. Yeah, yeah, I read it on, a, on an e-reader. Like a couple of days of reading sporadically, it was yeah. super fun. Like very contained. The magic system was a lot of fun. It was oh, really yeah. cool to think of, like the idea of like changing the history of objects or people, which mm -hmm. is obviously much much more difficult. Yeah, I really loved like the forgery part of the well that's a mega ma major part of the book is the forgery aspect but oh, yeah that's the magic yeah thing. i thought it was very cool because it's not as simple as like i'm gonna transform this piece of wood into gold magic and then happens there was actually was like a transmutation yeah like there was some logic behind forgery like you have to know the history of the object it has to be plausible yeah it has to make sense yeah to so, convince the object or the subject really yeah uh that is being changed like you say with a plausible story that says you actually weren't allowed to decay as a table as a house as a door yeah. as a whatever and actually somebody came and fixed you and painted these beautiful patterns on it and yeah you stamp the thing and boom, now it's yeah. a completely, yeah, like it just. It's very, very creative yeah. way of doing it. And it, yeah, it makes it much more believable because it has to make sense what you're doing. Like there has to be a logic or reasoning behind it. So yeah, that really contributed to my um, liking the book is, yeah, the magic wasn't simple. It wasn't totally just voila, it happened. There was an explanation behind it. And it was interesting. Mm -hmm. I also really like the character evolution throughout this, like pretty short time. I think it's three months mm -hmm. that the book takes place. And like Gautona was like my favorite character towards the end, you know, that like to see his change and how wise the guy was and something that isn't really outwardly explained that isn't very explicit in, in the story that runs kind of parallel with, Shai's idea that uh, of changing the emperor from you know the the comatose guy that he is now, but also at the end to have changed him for the better, to make yeah. of him a better person and thus a better emperor. Yeah. So like that everybody may benefit from that change, right? Yeah, that was a really cool way to end it because from the perspective of these, what do they call them, the arbiters? Yes. They think Shai is like 
terrible. Oh, some scum. Yeah, they think she's some thief, you know, con man sort of thing. Well, but, she is. But but <laughs> she does it like in this case, she had probably the most important job in the universe at that point in time. And she didn't take advantage, like she didn't, you know, change the emperor to serve her purpose or whatever. She mm-hmm. helped him become a better person for everyone. So yeah, it was interesting. Like she wasn't this bad person that they all thought she was. Well, yeah, or the the accuser of being. Yeah. But one of the big themes in it is art and yeah. the meaning of art and mm-hmm. the reasons why we create or in some cases destroy yeah. art. That was really interesting because she had the permission by the artist of the painting, I think. Yeah. Or I think it was a painting. Mm, yeah. Or the one with the mood in it? Like, Yes. Yeah. yeah, like at the very, at the very beginning, what yeah. she gets caught doing, she has permission, and actually she has been requested to destroy it by the artist himself. And Gautona at one point asks her, like, why would you do that? That is like, it's not for you to do, even for the artist to destroy the art, it's not, you know, like he's looking at it from that perspective, valid or otherwise, but like he is looking at it from a perspective of like, it is for everyone to enjoy, it's for everyone and for posterity. Yeah. Whereas uh, the artist himself he, and Shai, you know, they see this as a, they see the ephemeral and ever-changing nature of our perception of, well, everything, but also of art and the art that we create and the thing, the meaning is created by us and it lives in us. And that is very much the end of the story, right? That like Shai has the knowledge of what she has done to the emperor by forging a soul. And Gatona reads through her notes, through the book that uh, she gives him, and understands what she did, which is to change him for the better, but like... Subtly. And yeah. Not all at once. It was over over time, over many years. Yeah. She and, crafted his new soul to become a better person. Yeah. And unlike Frava, the person who asked or kind of blackmail Chai into putting a quote-unquote backdoor into the emperor's mind so that she may manipulate him. Yeah. And at the same time, she would accuse Chai or others of trying to do that, of doing that, so that they could themselves manipulate the emperor. But Gatona sees that it's not at all that. That is never the intention, it, the, the intention that Chai has, nor does she have the intention of taking the glory and like, or basking in the glory of this feat, which is the super difficult thing of forging someone's soul and that it takes. Right. Yeah. So at the end, the meaning of that artistic endeavor, which is to craft this very difficult work of art lives within shy. And she is just happy to know that it, that it happened, that it exists. Yeah, exactly. Like she wanted to see if this thing that she, poured her heart and soul into if it worked in the end. Yeah, it was more than enough to know that she had been able to and that it had worked. Yeah. Like the very existence of that person in that state was enough of a celebration of her artistic exploit. For sure. Right. So that was very interesting. I really did not expect that from the story. It it, it had far more nuance than I thought it would going yeah, in. Exactly. Or not, not that I... Not, it's not that I thought I would have less nuance, but it was very interesting and very well put. I thought uh, 
I was I was very pleasantly surprised, and uh, I've seen people mention that this is, in their opinion, this is Sanderson's best work. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it was great, and like you said, it has it raises questions of like what is art and why do we value it? Because for example, like if someone does a, a perfect forgery of a famous painting, how can we value that less than the original? They're the same beauty visually, right? They they look Let's assume they look identical. They're both equally beautiful. Yeah, they take the same level of skill. Yeah, exactly. Like the technical skill is the same there, but we value one over the other because I guess one is the original. Is one was the pure creation. Someone came up with this, someone wanted to tell a story, or you know, someone intended for this to look this way. So, yeah, it just goes to show that there's more to art than just the technical skill of the artist. It's it's kind of what what you put into the art, what, you know, heart your heart and soul goes into it and and the subtle beauty of that versus just, okay, this looks nice visually and that's it. So it kind of just raises that question of, yeah, why do we value something over something else? What kind of intangible benefits does art give us? Yeah. And kind of the importance and representation of the artist's work and what is it that makes art original and how to perceive that sort of thing differently in one object versus another one versus, you know, mm-hmm. one that we might construe to be a quote-unquote original versus another one that might be a copy. And then there's that quote, I really can't remember who was from, who said it, that uh, all art is imitation and then mm. the other one but like imitation is the most sincere form of flattery yeah and which is so very true like every artist takes inspiration from other artists there are obviously people who work in a vacuum for a lot of what they do but even if attempting to do so they are inarguably and irrevocably inspired by their experience of art elsewhere Mm-hmm. right and like seeing and not just art just their experience of being alive and seeing things experiencing life will have an impact on it so it it does kind of put it to contrast the ideas of originality and a forgery the meaning of that the importance of that so that was that was actually very interesting that aspect of it that i really did not expect this thing going in yeah, definitely. Like it's more than just a cool story. Like it makes you think about different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like the the magic system in itself was like is really fun to think that you know you could change your environment around you and and that it's it's this pagan bad magic that like people look at it as you know uh, in, in the beginning like Gautona and the other arbiters but, like they li- literally don't understand it. They really don't understand what it is that she does. And then when she explains it to him, it's like, yeah, I'm convincing the table that like it is not this brown, ugly thing, but that in its past it was improved and worked on by someone, a really dedicated crafts person, and made it into something beautiful. And that changes it. And Gautona is like, well, I mean, don't believe your superstitions and stuff. And he's like, well, I mean, you're seeing the table, right? Yeah, it's right here in front of you. Yeah, like the, the magic did work. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, exactly. even if I misconstrue the understanding of how it is this system works, even though she's not, obviously she understands it and does it in such a perfect way that the emperor, Ashravan, is 
himself at the end, but just a better version of him. Like, she didn't just, like, bring him back to life, but well, he's not dead, he's comatose, but, like, she brings him back to life and she builds upon the foundation of what he was by understanding his past, by learning what it were his perceived shortcomings and where his shame lied. Yeah. And improved upon him. In that way. Yeah, for sure. And that goes back to the kind of why do we value art? And because she did, technically, she did a good, a great job. Like she, she gave him his soul back. He's convincing everyone, but there was, yeah, yeah, but there was kind of more behind the scenes going on to it. There was more subtlety, more soul in, in the soul, right? So, <laughs> you know, that's kind of like she she created her art, but it wasn't just technically beautiful. It had, there's more to it than that. And I think that's sometimes when you look at a beautiful painting, right, you can recognize that it's really well done but sometimes it just there's something there that you can't see necessarily but you feel it and it seems like intangible something intangibly beautiful about the painting but you can't necessarily grasp it and and describe it right so that's kind of what she did with the soul because she did these subtle little changes that over time will lead to something great Mm -hmm. yeah so in that aspect, the book was very enjoyable. That could have been, you know, just a, well, it is a standalone, but it could just be a separate work and the entire thing revolve around the magic system and this power struggle of the Arbiters, the Empire, the Forger. But as any Sanderson fan knows, and as we know by now, this all takes place in this enormous galaxy, right? Like all these planets that make the Cosmere, mm-hmm. and there's that's one of the things that Lex Anderson is known for the the world building that he has. And like, although this of course is very short and it takes place and only within that castle for the most part, it did feel like it was part of a greater thing, right? Yeah, because they did reference other worlds and yeah that kind of thing. So you know that there's more out there. Yeah, and it feels like it too, mm-hmm. right? Like it make it convinces you that this is a working world that even though we don't go out there and explore it, all it takes is the very adept description and prose that a good writer has to evoke the images in your mind or to help you imagine it. And so that it feels like a real thing. It feels like this real world or multiplicity of worlds, like in this case. So this, this it, is, it actually is not said once as far as I know. In as far as I remember, in this novella, that it takes place on a planet called Cell, mm. like salt in French. <laughs> yeah. And um, the, the very first book that Sanderson published, his very first published work, takes place on the same planet. And as far as I understand, they're the only two works or two books that he has uh, on this planet. Hmm. And it takes place in a different continent. And I think cool. there's a different magic system and it doesn't have to do with soul stamps. Mm. So it's really cool to think that like, and that was, uh, that was another big thing that like, I, I always kind of like feel a little intimidated going into like a book, a series of books, or even just a, a big work that has this huge world to explore that I just don't know where to start. Right. Yeah. Some have, you know, an obvious starting point, 
But in this case, it's just kind of like, okay, where do you start with Sanderson? Uh, Sanderson. You could go, I guess, one safe thing is to go by publication date. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, can. That's Because that, that at least you know thing, yeah. you're reading it kind of as he created it, sort of. Yeah, but just like with the Peter Hamilton book that I just finished, for instance, that was published after the main massive trilogy that that universe, or that, that is set in that universe. and this was a prequel, but it felt really cool to like see the thing from the very start and see it chronologically, mm-hmm. right? And it's not in publication order. Some people might have said you have spoiled some surprises or something. It is not meant to be read this way. However, Adam, I really don't think that the author had any plan for it to be read afterwards, even though it's a prequel. So with this, yeah, it, 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 with Sanderson's book, it's a unique completely insular story set in this world but it gave me this feeling of like okay there's a far wider universe out there to explore with different types of magic and whatnot and that's as a primarily a science fiction reader or i should say just not a fantasy aficionado like it really piques my curiosity to think of like how is it relevant that there are different planets with different civilizations, different magics, different whatever? But if they're in a setting in which, you know, like, I mean, this is like medieval, you know, like it's very low tech as far as I remember. Yeah, she's riding a horse for transportation. Yeah, the weapons are largely swords and knives yeah. and daggers, that kind of thing. It's very, yeah, medieval Tolkienian type of fantasy. Mm-hmm. That it makes me think, okay, like, so why does it matter? Unless you have, you know, magic of teleportation or portals or anything like that to travel between worlds, which I'm sure there has to be some of that. As far as I know, the Imperial Fool, who Shay sets after at the end of the book, and is mentioned in passing two or three times throughout the, the novella, that is the one character that appears in all of Sanderson's Cosmere books. Really? Yeah, apparently. He's just causing chaos all yeah, over. Yeah, he's a world hopper, apparently. Mm-hmm. This character is mentioned in, in, in all the Cosmere works. Wow. It's like They're, a little Easter egg in each book, kind of. For sure, yeah. I'm sure that, like, for us, it was like, I mean, this the, just the fact that it was capitalized, that both words, Imperial and Fool, were capitalized, it made it obvious that once we were done reading the book, it was it's obvious that, okay, this has to be connected or this ha- this might be the one thing that connects this work with the wider Cosmere, even though we don't know anything. We, we, I might be perfectly wrong about that because I have read, I have not read anything else other than The Emperor's Soul in the Cosmere or by Sanderson at all. Yeah. So it's really intriguing to, to think like, how, how do you connect them? So now I want to read all of it, right? Yeah, it makes you wonder, like in, in other books, is it explained, are they able to travel between planets and how do they do that? Or is each planet just its own isolated world? Like it's, And also it makes me wonder in this one, like Shai mentioned that her homeland was somewhere else. Is that on the same planet? Probably, I would think. Yeah, or but, it's, is it, but it's not yeah. concrete. Right? Or is it a different planet altogether? Yeah. It's interesting. Like it makes you want to know more. For sure, it was absolutely a great way to start and to get into this guy's works. Like the person who recommended this this book to us, and thank you very much, by yeah, the way. Shout out, you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs>
it was absolutely yeah, a great place to start. Not only because it was a super fast, thrilling read, really short and succinct and, and nice and really like a really good showcase of the guy's writing skill and also a great gateway into that universe. So aside from the big famous series, Mistborn and Stormlight, I believe it's called. Yeah, I think so. Which this has, as I understand, not much to do with directly. It's not directly related to those. It, it was, yeah, one great way to start exploring this author and that's one of the things that we said when we started this podcast that was to discover new authors to mm-hmm. to expand our horizons and look into stuff and not just read R- historical sci-fi and shit <laughs> 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 historical fiction and sci-fi yeah yeah it is nice to read something a bit different and, and just completely immerse yourself in this world that is so unlike our own and completely escape into that like it is, yeah. It was it was interesting to discover more and more about the world and and the creativity of the author is just really impressive. Yeah, enviable. Yes, I know. I wish I could come up with this stuff. It must be awesome, like to be an author like that and know that you have so many fans who are there waiting for your next book, and you get to come up with it and and just totally create something of your own. That's yeah, pretty cool. That's why I love discovering a new author that has a. a catalog of work like this where you can try so many different things you know i felt like that one when i discovered uh kim stanley robinson you know he's been writing for decades and he has a lot of different things and tchaikovsky adrian tchaikovsky same thing you know he has a ton of books both sci-fi and fantasy yeah like it's just always so much fun to like dabble into something new and find out that you love it yeah. And I can understand why this guy is so famous. Like Sanderson is ridiculously famous. Oh, yeah. And at yeah. least if this book is an example for his other books, it's very readable. Like the language is not too, you know, flowery, trying to impress you with big fancy words. And it was, yeah. but it wasn't written like a baby either. You know, yeah. it was a good balance. Yeah. And like the, 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 the internal universe, it isn't impenetrable, right? It is welcoming as it is complex and fleshed out it it was also effortless for yeah. me to suspend my disbelief and go into this universe and be in it in the room with her carving stones yeah that's what it's called yes stamps whatever. yeah and i i would actually like to see that like how that would look if this was ever made into a movie or something for example i'd love to see how the carvings look on like how complex i mean they must be pretty complex if it's translating so much intention like into a soul stamp i would love to just see how the author kind of Mm -hmm. imagines that in his mind like how does the carving how do the carvings look on the stamp yeah because the actual stamps themselves they were a fairly complex system in which like she had to write down in detail on the plaque i think yeah well yeah for his soul because it was just obviously it's a soul there's way much way more stuff that oh yeah yeah, or anything else yeah yeah, changing it flower vase is nothing but like yeah. or, or a table but like for him he needed yeah. like a big plaque to contain all of the data <laughs> yeah and then on the stamps there's more of a shorthand and symbols that convey what is more explain what is explained more at length in either her mind and her understanding of the object or the subject and the magic that she is putting into the stamp right like it's very interesting it's not 
you know, in contrast with like other things, so like I loved Harry Potter as a kid, but like the magic system is just completely ridiculous in that thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just there's like, not there's not much there's, logic yeah, behind there's it. No, there's no rhyme or reason. And I mean, it. it was written for kids, so obviously, yeah. you know, you can't fault her for that. I don't think, but but yeah, like here, it's so internally consistent and still not info dumped on yeah. you. Like he's not trying to convince you that this thing is, it just tells you as the story moves on very quickly and you just buy it. It, yeah. it made perfect sense. I just, and I could totally see this being adapted. I, I feel like, well, it's short. Novellas usually make great adaptations because you don't have to cut out so much. Yeah. And if I may dabble in this again, we're new to this author. We are non-existent in the fantasy fiction scene but in my research about the author in the book i saw that now recently i think i saw it on the subreddit on the brandon sanderson subreddit that the fans are restless apparently there there is talk about adaptation like sanderson was talking about some you know kind of cryptically talking about some uh some, Re revealing yeah, something some big announcements yeah. they're gonna come yeah. so like it would make sense you know for like somebody who's like coming with already such a, a big fan base and with works that are like celebrated for their creativity and their maturity and how fun they are to read for them to be adapted into film so none of his work has been adapted at all so far no which is surprising for such a big author yeah, I mean, fiction, it, it, there's so much of it. And then science fiction and fantasy is so expensive to adapt. True, yeah. Right? Like, that's what should really sucks. I mean, like, we, we were talking about uh, Peter Hamilton earlier and, like, Sonny's Edge. And same for Alistair Reynolds, uh, Beyond the Aquila Rift. And what was the other one? I don't know. It doesn't matter, does it? Zima Blue. Okay. Those are, like, the very first things that those authors uh have ever had adapted mm. to the screen at all mm -hmm. and they are animated right yeah so it, it is it's not easy no it's expensive and you know there's so many uh, there's so much of it it would make sense that this you know that the, there are a lot of things that have been uh put in the pipeline and they there are plans to adapt them like so many great things like dune obviously was Amazing, the movie that Villeneuve made out of it. Oh. And can't wait for the second one. Oh, so pumped. And uh, obviously now there's a, a Lord of the Rings show that we won't comment on because we haven't seen. Mm -hmm. And we have not heard such good things. <laughs> <laughs> and the Game of Thrones, yeah. A Song of Ice and Fire, it was notwithstanding the very infamous ending of that series. It was a very successful, very expensive for the most part, very well-crafted TV series. So yeah, I'd love to see, well, obviously this one, because it was great. However, I don't see uh, this over other things being translated to film, other than you know the fact that this is short, so you can make a film out of this like fairly well, as opposed to you know trying to fit everything into, into a two-and-a-half-hour epic fantasy movie or making a series out of it. You know, all very expensive, right? So... It really takes a, a big producer, a big studio to really put the put the money down to do it. But I would love to see it. Yeah. You know, not just because it's the one that we just read and enjoyed, but also because hey, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really happy to have read this. Uh, Sanderson, 
Brandon Sanderson, The Emperor's Soul, five out of five for me. Oh yeah, same. I I enjoyed it. Um, it was yeah, very intriguing. Very, it's nice to read something new and something that was so well crafted and and very creative, something unique. Yeah. At least for me, someone who doesn't read fantasy. Yeah, no, so. just just as a reader of fiction, just as a reader of books in general, it was a mm -hmm. fun, great book. Yeah, and it yeah, it was a very pleasant surprise. Yeah, we recommend it. Yeah, mm -hmm. so let us know what you think. Send us an email to apartmentlibrarypodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. For another great book. Hopefully. We don't know what we're reading next, but it'll be good, most likely. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs>